G'day and welcome to another edition of the Two Dogs Podcast. My name's Kevin Hillier. A bit excited because we're a little bit closer to the start of the season. Uh, and a terrific uh, podcast for you. A couple of great guests. Not often we have two premiership players on this program. I don't think we ever have had, but uh, two terrific uh, Bulldogs premiership players. In fact, the premiership captain uh, from the 2016 uh, flag, and that, of course, is Eastern Wood. And one of the stars of uh, that day and of uh, that finals campaign, Tom Boyd. So uh, Eastern Wood and Tom Boyd coming up in just a tick. A reminder about uh, all the details you need to know about uh, uh, what's going on with the past players. Check out uh, all the social media platforms, in particular the Facebook page that gives you all the details of what is going on with the past players. Thanks to the past players' sponsors. Looking forward to uh, sponsoring the room this year. We'll start uh, in the Victory Room and finish up in the Danvers Room, hopefully. But to Justin Whitford from PFG Australia, to Dave Marsh from Flash Fabrications, from Dave Boxall from Midway Concrete Garden and Building Supplies, and also, of course, uh, to the wonderful Noel Pearson Sons from the Australian Luggage Company. Great supporters of the past players. So let's get into a couple of the past players. Don't have to look too far in the rear vision mirror to see these blokes. They're only recently retired. Eastern Wood and Tom Boyd. Welcome to you both. Post football and acclimatising yourself to the world to a world without that doesn't have football in it that becomes totally different to what you're used to. How did you find that, Eastern? Um, a relief at the start. Uh, I think when I was making the decision for for my retirement, we were weighing up a lot of things, um, and you know, with uh, my declining athleticism, my <laughs> propensity to be injured. And, um, you know, becoming a parent um, in quick succession to having two kids 13 months apart in the midst of COVID, things weren't easy. And I think that um, a collection of those factors led that, you know, it would be easier to hang up the boots. And I think that I would always wanted to go out uh, potentially earlier rather than later. Um, I felt sick about the idea of... Um, running around and it being visibly um, obvious to people that I was done and I kind of um, would have nightmares about people having those conversations behind my back. Um, yeah. I, I just never wanted to go out in that in that manner. So, um, yeah, I suppose that initial feeling of transition was I needed a, a break and um, and to come down from that, that height of devotion and... Um, you know, football, uh, I think to be successful, you have to be inherently selfish. So it was nice to um, step away from that uh, initially, which was which is good. But it's been it's been nice being away from it, but I miss the place. Um, that's for sure. So it was lovely to go to the past plays function that we were recently at where I got to see you and um, Clay Smith and a group of other guys that I haven't seen for a long time and be back amongst a group of fans that um, had always treated me really, really kindly and, and wonderfully. So, um, yeah, looking forward to connecting with that with that group more as time goes on. In in the least bit scary, uh, you know, not having the football sort of net behind you. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose the the probably the challenge I've had is the um, the removal of the purpose that football gives. Um, not to say that being a parent doesn't give you purpose. I've got more purpose than than anything, but um, parenthood can be. I suppose a lot of the days are exactly the same um, and sometimes you feel like you're filling in time whereas with football that purpose was that climbing that mountain to be as good as you could be, um, as good as you can be and I suppose you wake up every day and you know exactly what you're doing and what you're work, working towards and that's for 
for the next day, for the next week, for the next year, for the next number of years. So um, I suppose now I've got the uh, the freedom to not know what's around the corner, which is both exciting and scary. Um, but I'm yeah excited about taking that next step. What about you, Tom? When you when you decided that that was it, did that that any trepidation about? I mean, you walked away from a you know well documented. Big, uh, big contract. Uh, you both had time left on your contracts, but you walked away from a massive contract to go out into the big wide world. Yeah, I mean, the first um, first week or two was awesome because I think the boys went over and got absolutely flogged over in Perth like two weeks after I was done. <laughs> but um, I remember sitting there watching that game, going, "This is yeah, this is prime. Have a beer, watch the game, <laughs> not suffer." <laughs> Um, not suffered a flight back from Perth after a loss, which is, you know, a pretty terrible spot to be for my experience. Um, but then, you know, like life hits you pretty pretty quickly. And I remember, you know, dad came around and we sort of did some budgeting and all that sort of stuff and spoke about sort of where I was at, where I was going. And I think for me, I probably spent six months trying to work out what I was doing. I had a sort of, um, you know, probably different to Woody in terms of I left sort of wanting to do something specific and I was sort of moving into this sort of mental health space and, um, you know, really trying to make an impact there. I think it was just sort of, you know, formulating what that actually looked like from a day-to-day. And I built up sort of this, you know, quite a, an array of speaking opportunities for 2020. And then obviously the world shut down. And, you know, whilst financially and probably mentally in the initial stages, it was really obviously not a great spot to be in. Um, what it did do for me was, uh, and we were talking about this just before, um, it did for, sort of force me to shift my mindset as to like what is the stable day-to-day work that I do and sort of being able to shape that with the business that I work in, um, being able to perform three days a week, speaking stuff on the side. It obviously forced me to write a book. Um, so it sort of gave me the impetus to, to really kickstart my sort of um, vocational you know, journey, I would say, post-footy. But you know, I I remember um, Gia when when he first became a coach. He had something written on his desk, which I you know has always stuck with me, which was never forget how hard the game is um, or was for him. And you know, I think I've taken that very literally um, moving on and and really sort of remembering that you know unless you're a thousand percent committed um, and you're a thousand percent capable, the game is you know beyond challenging. Uh, and I wasn't um, at that stage in terms of my mental sort of commitment to the game when I finished and, yeah, was ready to move on. So I think probably, um, you know, similar to Woody in some stages but certainly different in, in others. Did you, Woody, did you wrestle with it mentally very much in terms of making that break? The physical break happens but the mental break from the game, was that a different sort of conundrum? Um, it was something I was uh, – I started to realise that once I was having the break, there was something that I um, I suppose was craving. Um I think I was a little bit burnt out um, towards the end, just from um, from COVID, from um, from parenthood, and I think from um, just a, a long career where uh, you know you've put everything everything into and everything on the line. And um, I think the a part that the mentally draining part for me was the repeat injuries that I was dealing with um, consistently across my career. But uh, towards the end, in that last year that I played in 2021, I tore three hamstrings, and um, I thought for 2022, if I was to play with what I've felt was declining athleticism, I'd need everything to go right for me to have a successful. Uh, year and contribute in the way that I wanted to contribute to the team. Now that wasn't 
totally unattainable, but I felt that if I was to tear a hamstring, um, that that would become much more difficult to achieve. And with the, my track record, it wasn't looking mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'd get a clean, a clean slate. Um, and I started to probably have anxiety around um, my mental state if I had uh, were to continue and were to break down, um, that I'd feel like I don't know if I can go through another rehab or I don't know if I can play um, without the absence of fear, I guess. Um, so I, I think as soon as that seed was kind of planted, um, that I knew that uh, I needed to I needed to finish. Yeah, Tommy, you're in a happy place now. Yeah, mate. Uh, look, I think you know the way I've described it is basically for the first like since you're five to you finish footy, you're basically in school. Like in terms of the do this, do that, turn up here, you know shiny shoes, all that sort of stuff. And I think, you know, and I'm sure Easton's experience is to some degree, the sort of autonomy that you get once you finish football. Um, And, you know, to Woody's point earlier about the selfishness that football requires, well, sort of amalgamating yourself into the the real world, as I would uh, call it, um, is, uh, yeah, for me, it's been great. Like, I, I love the ability to you know, have space to do the things that I'm passionate about, um, to work with people. And, you know, the things that I enjoyed about football are the same that the things that I enjoy about, um, you know, working in the sort of corporate space. Um, but I just think that, you know, when you get the autonomy to choose what you do and when you're passionate about the things that you have chosen, I think it you know makes all the difference in the world in terms of your sort of mental state. A lot of players find it hard to find something that that gives them the rush and the and the and the charge, and I guess the excitement levels that you get out of out of football. Have you struggled with that, Ace, at all? Um, yeah, the adrenaline side of things you do miss. I think um, upon reflection, one of the things I missed the most about football was that last um, run up the race um, before the game starts, because that was such a um, a hotbed of emotions. Of um, I was nervous before every game. Uh, from the start of my career towards the end, um, it didn't change. It was always present. And those nerves were just consistent of the fact that you never knew what you were going to get. You could prepare as well as you could and you could be walking out to the best game in your career or you could be walking out to the worst game in your career. Now, as I got older, I realized the more I prepared, the more I could you know, get the odds in my favor that it would be a good day. Um, but still there was no guarantees and and that I, I loved that challenge and that gave me anxiety but it gave me energy and that I think is where the adrenaline come from the unknown um so there is obviously an element that you do miss to that um but as I was talking to Tom last week as he knows I've taken up um I'm a cricketer now and um I get that feeling every time I walk out to bat every time a high ball gets hit um, or every time I'm trying to bowl and um, bowl heat and try and take a wicket, so um, I do chase that feeling, uh, and I get it every uh, every weekend at the moment. So um, yeah, I think I'll be playing sport until one of, either one of my legs falls off or I'm uh, six feet under. So then you'll it'll, uh, it'll, it's, it's, it'll be my life. Let, let's put on the public record and dispel that that myth that I even that the past players show that we did the other week. Uh, always thought that you were at Geelong Grammar on a cricket scholarship. That is, yep. in fact, rubbish. That's incorrect, yes. Um, as I said at that function, um, I believe in my first game, Rocket gave an interview um, uh, saying that I came from a cricket background and I was on a cricket scholarship, and all of a sudden someone took that and put it on Wikipedia, and that's been uh, accepted as fact ever since. And it was, yeah, it was false. I was on 
um, uh, it was I went to grammar for football and cricket, um, but there was some controversy over sports scholarships there at the time. So some of the parents didn't want um, a, a kid coming in and taking their spot from their full fee-paying son, I suppose. <laughs> um, so to appease, I believe, part of that audience, um, uh, it was actually called a general excellence scholarship, whatever the hell that means. So um if we want to uh, <laughs> want to really get it correct, that's what I that's what I was on. And did you did, did you get a yeah? How much, of a, how much of a toss is that? Generally, <laughs> <laughs> everything. That's what we, we wanted. And were you uh, generally yeah. excellent at everything that you did at uh, at grammar or not? Um, yeah. It, it, in in the end, I, I think I uh, actually did live up to that. Funnily enough, but um, certainly wasn't the the intent going in going in. So that would be the thing about you that is the is the greatest myth of your um, sort of sporting uh, CV. What's the greatest myth of yours, Tom? Is there one in yours that's not true about any of your sporting prowess? I mean, things like being the leading goal kicker in the TAC Cup and all that stuff. That's that's actually fact. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, and we only won three games of the year, and we finished on the bottom. <laughs> It was a pretty good effort, actually. How do you kick the most goals and lose every game? Hey, I kicked 42, I think, or 45. 45, like eight of the year. Uh, <laughs> you know, and then I worked out later, I think the reason I kicked straight, because I was marking the ball about 15 metres out from goal the whole time. Which that helps. Was, that um, helps. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think about, you know, I don't, I don't think there is any real myths per se about my sporting career i didn't get a general excellence um scholarship so um paid the full board we didn't actually give out sports scholarships at luther it was much more a uh originally it was like a volleyball and music (laughs) art school but that was actually one of the reasons why i went to to luther college was because mum didn't want me becoming one of those you know private school footballers (laughs) Um, what's wrong with those what do you mean uh well what do you you know in, in probably a decade. Oh, I know, I know, I know. And a half after you went to school, they turned into real wankers. Actually, <laughs> it was so funny. Like they generally, they you know, those who won't be named, but through the the state sides, um, they treated me like I was an alien from like Alabama. I, I lived in Ringwood. I was like twenty minutes from the city, but. <laughs> And also, by the way, um, you know, for those guys who are Oakley Chargers, um, you know, tosses, uh, <laughs> I actually it's like we pretty much boarded their region, and they still treated you like you were a bush bush pig. So, um, eventually, once you start, you know, taking marks and kicking goals, they show you a bit of respect. But um, took a while because <laughs> normally the uh, the big fallacy about everybody is the size of their contract and how much money they make. But yours was so bloody well publicised, you couldn't lie about it. No, I still to this day, you know. Probably should dock my manager's pay. Um, but at that stage, I, I think this is correct. Um, so far as I know, as as you mentioned, not everyone's contracts are published, but I'm pretty sure at that stage he had the two biggest deals in AFL history because it would have been Buddy the year before for $10 million or whatever it was, and then mine. And I think, yeah, so like for – and he had Gaz as well, um, and Swanee and Pendles and Jack Rewalt. Like, so he was very top-heavy. <laughs> but, he's doing, um, doing excellent. Yeah, didn't get to uh, didn't get to hide behind the cloak of anonymity with that one. That was uh, <laughs> when I first got back to Melbourne. Like before I even joined the club, Woody. I don't know if you remember. I, I got my appendix out, um, and uh, I remember the the article in the paper was that Australia's most expensive appendix has been removed. That was the. Head. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
This is just such a different world to walk into, um, but very funny, very funny. That's hysterical. Uh, what was the what was the feeling around the club when uh, when Tom turned up, Easton? What what are your memories of of that? I mean, you you were what you played fifty odd games at that stage. It was chaos. I mean, that was at the end of um, the world's biggest shit fight. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, when, when did you start, Tom? Was it? It was November fourteen. Yeah, it would have been just after Cup Day, I reckon. Yeah, okay, just after Cup Day. Well, from my memory of that time was we'd obviously um, Brendan McCartney had resigned, but had been sacked. Um, Griff had requested a trade, which is what led to Tom coming. Um, we'd lost a number of other senior players, including Coons, and I think um, Sean Higgins had gone. Um, hey, Dill Addison leave that that year as well. Yeah, maybe Dill. Um, that makes sense, and um, I'm probably forgetting a couple of others. But I mean, everything that was being written about us in the paper was that we were either um, doomed or irrelevant or both, and they were making some pretty good arguments as to why. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was the hardest part about it. I mean, it, we were in we were in it was disarray, um, really. And then, well, I mean, when Tom started, I don't think Bevo had started then. I think he started a couple of weeks later. So we, we've even started preseason without our head coach, um, who we've not met yet. And um, it was just the great time of um, uncertainty. I remember just thinking, I have no idea what to expect here. But my my feeling was that it. We weren't in for a, uh, a comfortable ride <laughs> um, or a successful one. Um, and, yeah, incredibly how quickly that turned. Yeah. Was that easy? Did that make that easier for you to slip in under the radar, Tom, so to speak, or not at all? I'm six foot seven on a $7 million contract. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was, it was very strange, though, because walking in and not having a senior coach um, to the club that you basically committed at least half of your career to, um, you know, even if I played 15 years. So I think that was strange. I think, you know, to have uh, Justin Cordy running the place at the time was was strange because we sort of didn't have any direction from a footballing point of view. Um, the assistant coaches were obviously doing what they could, um, but they were all established. They weren't going anywhere. So you sort of had a senior coach coming in with no allies, if that makes sense. Um, you know, often I think you'll find senior coaches bring someone with them. Whereas, um, I don't, did Jamie start, Maddox start in his first year, uh, Woody, do you know? Or was that year after? I, I, oh, I, th- I think it was the year after, but. Um, yeah, so he didn't. Really- I, don't, I don't remember. Yeah, he didn't really have anyone with him. He sort of was just given this slate of players. And, you know, me and Woody talked about this um, uh, on our uh, on Danny and I's podcast last week, which was, you know, uh, Bebo's ability when he first walked in there to sort of see everything for what they were, uh, like everyone in terms of their capabilities, as opposed to like trying to fit a square peg in a, in a round hole, which I think a lot of coaches do. They come in and say, this is how we're going to do things. Whereas, you know, my memory um, when Luke first arrived was, boys, you're all fit enough. We're not going to do any more running. We're just going to, kick the footy and you know that was so refreshing it was very different to the Giants which was super super heavy on cardio and and cross training and all that sort of stuff um and you know to the question around my comfortability I don't think it got bad um in terms of the attention until the season started um in ter- everyone was sort of like oh this is crazy and he's definitely overpaid but they weren't like um he sucks yet so there was that that I had <laughs> I didn't have any sort of you know didn't have a body of work for them to criticise. 
Um, but it sort of really ramped up um, very, very quickly at the start of 15. Uh, and, yeah, I, look, maybe my memory's a bit sort of biased, obviously, because it was you know pretty rough time at stages. But I felt like I was in the paper at least once a week, which is, like, very rare for an AFL player to be in there all the time. Um, and and also you're not doing anything controversial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, and there, it, 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 there wasn't many articles that were, like, you know, um, positive, let's say, at that stage. So, um, yeah, it was a sort of a pretty, yeah, it was a lot worse than what we anticipated, put it that way. You yeah. know, we knew there was be pressure and, you know, attention, and I just don't think we understood the scope. And, you know, I've spoken to Peter Gordon about this since. He, he you know, his memory of it was it was a lot more visceral than he could have expected. Um, and, yeah, I mean, at 18, it's it's quite a whirlwind to, to walk into. Well, it was the playing group supportive and or just in such a chaotic kind of um, uh, look after yourself and, and see what happens kind of mode yeah. that you didn't notice all that stuff going on around you as much as you probably would have under normal circumstances? Yeah, I think it's the like softly, softly stuff around footy clubs. I mean, you know, and I'm sure Woody would agree with this is that we don't really talk about contracts. Um, you know, there is some like chatter, I suppose, but, you know, every year there's two or three players who are, you know, up for big multi-million dollar contracts that need to get done. And if you spent your time worrying about that, it's very difficult to focus on the fact that you need to play with each other. And there were some players who were like remarkably supportive. I remember um, Nathan Robat at the time were up in Malula Bar and um, I must have taken a contested mark in match him or something. He goes, mate, so nice just having someone tall to kick to. Because <laughs> <laughs> he basically said that they hadn't um, previously. No, this didn't come from me. So no disrespect to other players over six foot four who came before me. But um, there was some really good stuff. I, I think the it, it was more of a mental battle on my part because everyone outside the four walls was was sort of coming after me in, in one way, shape or form at different stages. And I think just, you know, trying to batten down the hatches and it, it, become, it becomes difficult, right? Because the other thing is that the toll that it um, sort of lends itself to with, with teammates, you know, they're constantly answering questions about me. Um, and again, like I'm just trying to find out how to live out of home for the first time, let alone, you know, how to manage like a multi-million dollar contract with the media surrounding it and the interpersonal relationships at a brand new footy club which you know as we just chatted about was in a pretty sort of a fair bit of debacle when I got there yeah what about from the the more experienced players point of view Woody was that that an easy transition when Tom came in and there was all that expectation about him what did you blokes feel about that um I don't have a um a really clear memory of that time to be honest so for me I, I think that would lend itself to that it was a um one of those things where you know tom comes in obviously with highly highly publicized but um i was kind of always more interested on in getting to getting to know him and getting to know what kind of made him tick and uh because you gotta remember how old were you tom 20 19 just 19 well like i mean with all the expectation of the world on his shoulders i i, I my sense from the team was that we weren't expecting him to automatically be um, the number one player of our team for the next seven years. Um, Like, you've got to be realistic. You know, at 19, as Tom said, he's he's trying to adjust to living out at home for the first time. Mm. I'm like, we've leaped to going from that to then being able to, um, uh, you know, perform the best in the team for that amount of time. Like, um, it's crazy. And I think the help, I don't know what your memory is of it, of it, Tom, but when, when Murph, um, became captain for that year, I just remember, um, with him in that leadership position, 
it really let other people um it was just a more understanding place mm. there was more um appreciation for what people were going through outside of football don't get me wrong there was a lot that we could have done a whole lot better but from where we'd come from previously it was a more of an uh, an environment of if you're dealing with something um figure it out on your own and come and work hard and and if you can't then it's that sink or swim thing but it slowly shifted with Murph as captain and Bevo as um as coach we finally kind of got the room to breathe to um and the permission to to be who we were and to show what was used to be um considered as weakness um you could just be honest <laughs> and not be crucified for it yeah. and that took time um but yeah i don't know what your memory of that is tom if that was your experience or not um but that's how i kind of felt with that shift yeah well there wasn't the sinister like selfishness that i think was present at the giants at the time um, and a lot of that was based on, you know, one thing that high draft picks have in common, I like to say, is that they're, you know, usually really confident, usually very talented and always very insecure. Um, and, you know, that sort of lends itself to this sort of, you know, I have to beat my teammates, which, you know, inherently there's competition within, you know, professional sporting teams to to get the best out of each other. But the goal always has to be how do we get ourselves as a club better? Um, and I think, you know, probably Woody, I would say in our first Malulabar camp, we probably didn't get that balance right. I think there was a lot of like, you know, dog eat dog um, for want of a better better term. Well, that, um, was, that was how we were, that's all we knew. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it really came out to players who were sort of fringe, um, you know, first players in particular. Yeah. Um, and, you know, spending 10 days with guys that you don't really want to live with can sort of bring out the worst in you at different stages. But, it got pretty knifey that trip, didn't it, from memory? Yeah, there was a few blow-ups on the field, I remember. Um, a couple of punch-ons that were, yeah, that we were obviously, it was the first time we'd been away for that amount of time. That was the first Moolabar trip we'd had, and it's 10 days away. Um, some of the older guys are annoyed because it coincides with the first day of school for potentially for their kids, so they're kind of either making the decision to be away from the team or go and go and do that, which is obviously uh, stressful both, both ends. Um, and... You know, living in each other's pocket for ten days, um, culminating with the the peak of the preseason, which is brutal in thirty seven degree heat. Let alone, <laughs> I'm making a swim before the sessions. It was so dumb. That's right. We're getting up at six a.m. and going doing those stupid speech sessions, and then going doing a fifteen k session in thirty seven degree heat. Tom probably lost about six or seven kilos, I reckon, in one of the sessions. Like, um, it's insane. Um, so, no, yeah, no wonder we were getting narky with each other. Yeah, but I think the overall place was certainly, you know, very tolerant. I would say that probably the most tolerant throughout our, you know, most successful time. I think we probably got along the best, were the nicest to each other and the least factional, um, you know, um, throughout 15 and 16. And I think yeah, I at the end of 15 when I got dropped and I was playing in the twos for sort of last like five or six weeks, um, you know, one of the things I've shared before is that AFL players wouldn't share this currently, but a lot of people who are in the twos are sort of wishing, you know, not ill on their teammates, but they're certainly not wanting them to succeed. It's their job. It's their career. You know, if you're a key position player and someone's kicking goals in front of you, it makes it very difficult to get in the side. But I never really, you know, I never spoke to people about any of those thoughts, but um, there were, I would say, there was still a, a sort of cohort who were playing twos at the time who probably had that, 
um, you know, maybe lingering bitterness from before my time, I think, around like, oh, this is not fair, you know, I should be in the team, yada, yada, yada. And look, like, you know, the reality of the fact was that we are playing like really good footy and, you know, again, we're probably you know, undersold in terms of our capability that year because we got knocked out in the first week, um, you know, in a thrilling game against Adelaide. So I would say that, you know, broadly strokes, like the comparison between the Bulldogs and the Giants in particular was chalk and cheese. Yeah. When you look back on that that two years, that 15 and 16, um, and where you came from to, to where you finished up, you know, with the most guttural scream of your life on top of the podium uh, with a premiership cup in your hand, and an amazing two years when you look at that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely insane. I'm just going to do a shameless plug now, Kev, because we we are watching the best quarters of the final series in a live show, Danny McGinley and I. On the 11th of March, yes. yes. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think I do think about it sometimes because, you know, when you ask Woody about the sort of uh, the, the missing adrenaline in your life, uh, I was going to shamelessly plug it, the show then because I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I knew but, you were working one up. <laughs> Danny always abuses me because I don't advertise stuff for him. Um, so anyway, that's me advertising Danny if you listen to this. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think for me the thought process of me now, you know, three and a bit years or three years almost uh, uh, removed from the game, the thought of playing in front of 100,000 people um, and playing footy is just like it doesn't seem real. Uh, and, and I think that you know, probably is uh, because that run was so out of this world and, you know, obviously first time it's ever happened in AFL history uh, and probably, to be frank, will ever happen. Um, well, at least it's nice if we're the only team ever to come from seventh. I think that'd be good. And and I think, you know, the other thing was that the sheer blind optimism that I had at that time, particularly after we won that first final, to, to go on and, you know, I didn't feel like we were ever going to lose. And me and Woody sort of spoke about this again last week and, just that sense of, you know, our best is good enough. Um, and it has been good enough for probably two years uh, at that stage. And I think, again, whilst it's fun to talk about, you know, the excuses or the things that ran right for us to get to that point, you know, the buy or, you know, this person getting injured or whatever it may be, we would had put together two really great seasons of football and, Probably both years, realistically, were a top four side, but, you know, missed out by a game here or a game there. And I think, um, yeah, to to sort of get to that and culminate it with a, with a victory on the G was pretty bloody good day in my memory. Yeah. Do you still sort of shake your head when you think about it, Easton? Oh, yeah, particularly if, you, if someone was to tell you um, or to tell us when we had our first week of the preseason in 2014 heading into that 2015 season that, um, you know, we'd end up winning or play finals that year and then win a grand final the following year, you would have been laughed out of the room and I would have joined in because, as I said, the narrative at that point was we were either irrelevant or doomed and um, there was good arguments for those, um, those pieces. So that remarkable shift in turn... Um, yeah, special. It's wonderful. It's um, what makes the, it's the greatest thing about sport, right? Like, there's no guarantees. You um, anything can can happen, and um, yeah, when you get the right people um, at the right time with the right ideas, um, you know, you can turn things around drastically quickly. And that's what was yeah so wonderful, and we're lucky that happened to us. Premiership captain. Um, 
of Charles Sutton Middle, that two-year period for you, uh, that must have been Disneyland. That was absurd. I mean, 2014 was probably my best, most consistent year I played for the club. Um, and I played 17 of 18 games. I got dropped for one and came back in towards the end of the year. And then I broke my hand and missed the rest of the year. But that said, um, with that year, I finished 17th in the best and fairest that year. And that was a career best after seven years of playing. Um, so my idea of who I was as a player um, was role player at absolute best and um, was always just hoping that I could put together a consistent enough year physically that I could play every game. And I, I hadn't played every game at that point. Um, I think that was my best return ever, 17 games in a year. Um, so for to fast forward to the next two years to then all of a sudden yeah, win the best and fairest the following year um, was just not a concept in my mind that was even possible or even worth even dreaming about because it was just so pointless and unattainable that <laughs> what's the point mm. to then be captain um, in those circumstances and win a premiership is just it's crazy. And, um, yeah, if, if yeah, someone had a told or written an article that yeah, I would be um, a premiership captain, in two years at the end of 2014, like it would have been the biggest joke ever, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, so it's amazing what things can happen. Um, yeah, it really is. So where's where's your medal these days, Easton? Uh, well, it got stolen, so I don't know where that one is. Um, if anyone knows, let us know. <laughs> um, but I, um, the AFL were kind enough to uh, mint me another one. So I've got a... Um, a replica, which is really wonderful, and um, it's safely uh, in a safe now. Very good. Where's yours, Tom? Learn, learn, learn the lesson. Mum's got it, mate. Mum's got it. She looks after it for me. She's she's got all my paraphernalia, pretty much. Mum and Dad. Dad's got a good. Uh, he's got one of those great bits of uh, memorabilia that they release at the end of the final series that, you know, has mentally scarred me for life from signing things because I was severely hung over and had to sign like. <laughs> 1500 things <laughs> never never a more painful day in my life I was um <laughs> into the best and fairest that evening it was very rough <laughs> uh, yeah mum's got it mate she uh she also got the, the match worn boots and and all of that as well so um yeah don't know what i'll do with it long term but it's nice uh it's nice to have but i think you know at least in my perspective the you know the value of the grand final is in the experiences and and the people particularly um that you get to meet along the way and and that you share with and i think you know what i would describe as the magic of sport is you know the conversations you have with the 80 year old um lovely uh women of the west who come up and shake your hand and tell you that they didn't think i uh, think they were going to see a, a premiership before they died and, and now they can die happy that's kind of uh that's sport for you i think and um, yeah probably the thing that means a lot more than any bit of memorabilia from yep. that day look forward to you telling tall tales and true at the past players in the years to come uh and regaling everyone with the stories of uh, of your careers thank thank you both for uh, for being on the two dogs I'm going to kick that goal from half back by the time I'm 40. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> thanks, boys. Really appreciate your time. It's been terrific. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Easton. See you guys.
Hope you enjoyed that little bit of reminiscing with Tom Boyd and Eastern Wood. We'll see him at the past players at some stage, uh, hopefully in the future, in the near future, and also in the in the distant future. Uh, more of the Two Dogs podcast where you found this podcast, you'll find some great old episodes with some great old Bulldogs. Until then, go the doggies. See you at the footy.